Opposed to take these barriers down, to take those barriers down, as this is in your our bulletin, I changed last night. It's take these barriers down. In the third month after these miraculous deliverance from Egypt, the Israelites, or Israelites arrived at Sinai, which is also called Horeb. Located among the mountains in, Mount, in Sinai Peninsula, about 11 days away from Kadesh, on the edge of the holy city. This trip would have taken about 150 miles in a straight line and normally requires only 11 days. However, because of the rebellion and unbelief of the Israelites, it had taken 40 days to arrive in the Arabah. This rebellion had led to terrible delays and judgments, including the death of an entire generation. Soon after their arrival, Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain from the words he was to share with the Israelites. They witnessed firsthand the mighty hand of God who brought them to himself on eagle's wings, soaring high above any real threat. God told Moses he should remind the nation that if they kept his covenant and obeyed him fully, God would elevate them above all the existing nations of the world and mark them for special blessings. Moses returned to the camp and summoned the elders and related to them all the words that God had shared with him. The people in turn promised to obey the words of God. God told Moses to set the people apart and prepare them to meet him. He did this by commanding them to wash their clothes, bodies, and abstain from sexual intercourse. On the third day, God would descend on the, from the mountain and meet with them. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud, loud trumpet blast. The people awoke the thunder and the loud trumpet blast which the Lord had previously spoken to Moses about. All this was to announce the Lord's appearance. The Lord descended the smoke-filled mountain in fire, demonstrating his majesty and holiness. The people trembled in response as Moses led them to the foot of the mountain. By now, the mountain trembled violently, with the trumpet sounding glowing louder and louder. Although God had chosen the Israelites to be his special people, sin still created a barrier between the people and God and they could only approach him through carefully prescribed means. Next, Moses spoke to God, but now God drew back to the top of Mount Sinai and summoned Moses to meet him at the summit. There he warned Moses to command the people not to break through the barrier to look up on the Lord. To do so could bring death. The words God spoke next have come to be known as the Ten Commandments. The commandments became the official code of the covenant, but were much more than that. They echoed clearly the will of God for man. Although Jesus Christ would later give the law a searching exposition in the Sermon on the Mount, describing the obligation to keep it in their heart as well as extremely externally, these words would become the primary moral code of Israel. 
Moses repeated these commandments in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5. God began by identifying himself as the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of slavery. In so identifying himself, God established his rights as the sovereign Lord over Israel. The first commandment was that the Israelites have no other gods before God. The command itself is quite general and without law, not only species, I'm sorry, would only outlaw only species of polytheism, having more than one God, but also idolatry or any sort and any erroneous depictions of God. The second commandments come close to the heels of the first in both sequence and thought. Here God identifies what is proper worship. Since God is spirit, John 4.24, God forbids any attempt to capture an image of God whether by comparing him to another man-made image or any natural phenomenon. The third commandment instructed the Israelites not to misuse the name of the Lord. We should apply this commandment as broadly as possible. These words forbid any frivolous use of God's name, whether in swearing, over trivial matters, or in emotional outcomes. God's people, you and I, should use his name only in relevant context and never in questionable worship. The fourth commandment sets apart the seventh day as a Sabbath, which means to cease or rest. Although formally instituted here, the Sabbath originated with the giving of the manor, Exodus 16.23. Man should work six days and rest on the seventh. God himself symbolically rested on the seventh day of creation, thus sanctifying this day. God knew the effects of constant physical toil, not only on the body, but on man's spirit as well. Modern authors continue to debate the relevance of the Sabbath for today and whether the Lord changed its observance to the Lord's day, which is Sunday. However, the writer of the book of Hebrew links the Sabbath to the final rest that all of God's people will one day enjoy. None of the formal, none of the formal institutions escape the rule and involvement of God, including that of family. Oh, the family. Whether they are the world's best or the most dysfunctional, they are just thrust upon us. And there is nothing that we can really do about them. I can really relate to that. So we had better start appreciating them. The fifth commandment enforces the parent-child relationship as one of obedience of the latter to the former. A father and mother represents God to a child. And as children should honor God in all that they do, so should they honor their parents as well. The fifth, the next five commandments involve man's treatment and relation to his neighbor. And who is our neighbor? The one who does the will of God by showing love and compassion to anyone he or she encounters on a daily basis. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, 27, we find the Shema. 
Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. I do believe the reason why Jesus gave this commandment to his disciples was that he knew that the opposite of love is hate, which may lead to separation and sometimes even more than. And if you're interested in reading the Shema, a copy is posted on the wall of the lobby down in our, as we step in. God never designed his Ten Commandments to be a rigid system of rules so that our lives would be miserable. His lists displayed his character in all we do and think. God knows how we think, how we respond in different situations, and what we need to have the healthiest relationships with him and with others. The key ingredient to healthy relationship is the love that we show towards each other. This can only be accomplished if we take these barriers down. This was the central message throughout Jesus' three and a half years of ministry. The Apostle John informs us that it was April and the great feast of the Passover was in session for one week in Jerusalem. Jesus, his mother, and his disciples had left their hometown in Galilee, attended a wedding in Cana, where he turned water into wine, and from there he headed to Capernaum and then to Jerusalem for the Passover, which was the first festival mentioned in the Lord's ministry. This was the big city, similar to New York City, and the Lord did not like what he saw. The feast included the eating of Passover lambs, which commemorated the passing of death over Israelites before their departure from Egypt. Sometimes known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover was held in April, the first month of the sacred year. The animals were sacrificed are described in verse 14. These include sheep, oxen, and doves. Worshippers had traveled from great distances, and the availability of sacrificial animals was essential to temple worship. So, what was the problem? The key phrase appears at the beginning of verse 14, in the temple, the only place where Gentiles were permitted to pray. Furthermore, in Jesus' day, these concession stands had become cash cows, an insult to the Father and a desecration to the Father's house. Jesus became angry because the priests were not treating the people's needs as holy. They violated the command to treat their neighbors with love and mercy, so Jesus responded with righteous anger. He made a whip and drove the merchants out of the temple. I am not advocating that we should respond in the same manner, but we should also be upset by the commercialism of some religious activities in churches, on radios, and television that are, not, that are done in the name of religion. Although the temple is not the actual house of worship, Mount Sinai, the mount upon the temp which the temple stood, was synonymous with the temple itself. This was another reason for Jesus' protest in the temple. It was a repudiation of the temple and those who ran it, repudiation of their abuse of the people's trust, and their turning the temple of God into a profiteering enterprise, their exploitation of the people in the name of God and for the benefit of themselves and for the Romans. 
Outraged by Jesus' outburst, the Jews required him a sign. Show us what sign that you're doing these things. Jesus challenged them by saying, destroy this temple in three days and I will raise it up. As usual, Jesus was always misunderstood. They thought he spoke, he referred to the temple that they were occupying. Jesus sent a clear message to the priests. Change your greedy behavior. Stop oppressing the oppressed or you will be judged. There is an interesting account in the rabbinic readings that reflect the corruption in the temple and the priest's awareness that temple obligations represented a hardship for the Jewish people. Simeon, the son of Gamaliel, the rabbi who the apostle Paul called his teacher in Acts 5, became quite concerned that the price of sacrificial doves was so unreasonably inflated that worshipers were unable to afford them. This could result in suppliers staying away from the temple in shame and thus making no offering at all. This would have a chilling effect on the temple's revenue and the priest's own income. As a result of Simeon's concern, the price of doves eventually was lowered by 99%. Emphasis placed. Let me repeat that. As a result of Simeon's concern, the price of doves eventually was lowered by 99%. That the cost could be dropped so drastically while the merchants still made a profit gives us a sense of how disgracefully inflated the price of dove had become under temple oversight. Now we know why Jesus was so pissed off. Having said this, we can fully understand why our Lord was so angry when he saw the corruption that was perpetrated against the poor, the marginalized, and the outcasts of society. Even the safe place that was allocated for this group was desecrated. As Jesus was moved to righteous action, it is important for us to work actively towards peace, justice, and equity, equality rather, we must act against the systems in our society that stand in the way of justice. The same zeal that consumed Jesus that caused him to confront the priestly order must move us beyond conference after pious conference, meeting after prolonged meeting, beyond empty talk, and enter into systematic struggles to achieve the justice of God for all. For us who claim to believe, be believers of Jesus, we must remember that the kingdom of God, the eschatology, does not consist in talk, but in action. It is only through passionate action that we can manifest our authority to dismantle every oppressive and ex sorry. every oppressive and exclusionary principalities and powers that stand in the way of true worship and community. There is an old story about the Prince of Wales who was visiting India when the country was part of the vast British Empire, upon whose domain it was said, the sun never sets. The, ca the caste system prevailed at that time, and local officials, officials had erected barriers in the first city that the prince visited. After greeting local officials, he, he commanded, take these barriers down. In the next city, 
10,000 people gathered to welcome him under the banner carefully lettered in English, Prince of the Outcasts. My friends, Jesus the Lamb, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Son of God is the ultimate Prince of the Outcasts. An outcast rejected by his people stands at heaven's prince welcoming men and women, boys and girls of all races, of all socioeconomic status, to approach the throne of heaven's king through the crucified and resurrected prince. The Gospel of John is the story of how Jesus removed all, all barriers to that access. Jesus is the master of weddings and worship and we cry out for his involvement in our lives. Our relationship to the prince comes not through form or formality, but through faith and freedom. For those who struggle with religious legalism, skepticism, or just plain ignorance or arrogance of truth and justice, Jesus says, take these barriers down. This is the word of the Lord for the people of Genesis. Amen.